Doctor, look. Stand aside, nurse. I'm Doctor Homebrew. What's going on, everybody? Thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Dr. Homebrew. Today, we have zero homebrew, but we have three homebrewers, and I think that's good enough. I think three homebrewers equals one homebrew. We do have a commercial beer. Drink us. That's right. Yeah, sure. Drink us in. Drink our voices in. We do have a beer to judge, and I will uh, get to that in just a second. But before I do, I want to thank our sponsor, Five Star Chemicals. You can go to fivestarchemicals.com right now. Sign up for Five Star's free homebrew club program in one of the links in today's show description on the podcast or on the YouTube channel. And you get free product, exclusive discounts, monthly educational seminars, and free swag. And in case you don't want to go to the links, you can just go to fivestarchemicals.com slash homebrew hyphen club hyphen program. And check that out too. Five Star really want to reach out to the homebrewers and sort of give back and, you know, embrace the community a little bit more and, uh, you know, make sure that you guys are doing the best that you can to clean and sanitize your homebrewing equipment. I think it seems like they give you, if you have competitions, they can offer uh, help with those and swag or something a little bit. Maybe oh, damn. You, know, you have to work that out with them. Nice. Um, yeah. I was talking with uh, one of their people at HomebrewCon and it was, uh, it's nice. I, I thank them for supporting the homebrew community and, you know, uh, well, for supporting us too. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, they've been around for a long time and uh, put 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 out good products. So, gotta love them. Absolutely. All right. So here's what we're doing today, folks. And uh, this is a weird one. We're going to be talking about Coors Banquet. It's sort of a commercial calibration. Usually, the commercial calibrations we like to do are with uh, you know the the style guideline specific commercial examples of whatever style this is. But Char, you were saying that they don't have Coors Banquet necessarily as the commercial example of the style, but they have Coors Original. And we were yes. trying to figure out what the difference is between Coors Original and Coors Banquet. I assumed it was the same. It's it's funny. Like I was doing just a little bit of very quick research at the show break, and one source in Draft Magazine says they're the same, uh, that, it was re- that Banquet was renamed, uh, rebranded Coors Original a while back to allow it to be brewed in Canada. They don't say why. That seems like a, that mm. seems like a strange statement. Probably, uh, I, would, I would imagine some trademark copyright that thing. That could be. Yeah, not that's trademark, actually, but copyright and, thing, yeah. As an IP guy, yeah, I'd probably... Uh, <laughs> that's, I'm surprised a, that wasn't I your first default. I should default. know the trademark. <laughs> uh, but yeah, probably something was called Banquet in Canada in like... Coors Banquet was first brewed in 1873, so there was probably something else, some other banquet beer in Canada in the 1800s that they probably couldn't sell there because it was some kind of banquet beer. Uh, there's a trademark issue. Well, I think it was, it was yeah, it was brewed in, in 1873. And of course, banquet beer for 100 years was was just Coors. That was what you get. Yeah. But they, they nicknamed, it says the uh, Clear Creek Canyon Miners nicknamed it banquet beer as they would drink it in banquet halls or huge banquet tents when there were no halls. Uh, they didn't officially name it that until 1937, trying to get a little nostalgia in during the Depression. But they've used very whatever they can use to sell beer throughout the years. They've used it, I think, and <laughs> they've stuck around all this time. So they're, you know, they must be doing something right. <laughs> but uh, you know, this is a beer that is, you know, I would consider it a, a category one B of the BGCP, uh, standard American lager, or you know, maybe a 
premium version of American Standard Lager, kind of you could think of it that way, but that's there's no special category for that. It's just one B, something nice and light and drinkable. So I think we can judge it in that in that category uh, of American Lager and have it have it fit. It's not going to you know <laughs> it's not going to go crazy on us and all of a sudden oh wait it's full of hops and like flavor a lot of flavor. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's Coors. I'm now I'm reading the history of Coors Banquet in Canada, and yeah. it, they do say that they rebranded. It's the same beer. Coors Banquet is the same beer. It's just rebranded as Coors Original. That's it. Yeah, that's. They don't I, say I, I why. Wish I could, wish I had more information, and uh, I could do some real time Google searching, but that might not be the best podcast that yeah. people have heard. Yeah, well, I mean that's fine. It's you know it's uh it's brewed in Canada, in Newfoundland. They have a brewery in Newfoundland. Mols- so Molson Coors, yeah, yeah. So they, yeah, so they survived the prohibition doing porcelain stuff, chemical and scientific porcelain. Uh, they had previously gotten from Germany. They, so during prohibition, they brought, they made it here, and they made a non-alcoholic Coors. They called pure cereal beverage. Then they brought banquet beer back uh, after that. You know, it's, uh, or Coors back after that. I love pure cereal beverage. That's such a good name. Uh, 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 yeah, they that should bring that cereal back. Cereal milk. Now that NAs are getting more popular again, that, that could be a hit. I love it. Uh, dude, you you don't get me started on NAs, man. Yeah. I love them so much. They could put a cereal box look to their, their bottles and have it be a cereal beverage. It's wholesome. So we have Cole's <laughs> Banquet. I have an old can. And so I Googled how to look at the pull dates on this can because I don't even know when, I don't even know how long this has been in my fridge, but I'm going to drink it for the show. So the first, it's November. Oh, well, I mean, it's pretty fucking easy. The day is oh, is 08 and the year is 21. So this beer is about a year old. Wow. Uh, yeah, I got the fancy bottle here. This is the limited edition bottle, the Coors wow. Golden Banquet Beer, and the stubby bottle with the red cap. Um, this one has a date on it of December 5th, 22, which I assume is the drink by date because yeah. they obviously couldn't have uh, bottled that, it then that's true so, this is the drink by date so this beer it's in they usually do six months is kind of like the general rule uh yes you know? yeah then it was probably brewed and in, in, finished in june so early june this beer was brewed in february of last year <laughs> oh wow. wow i can smell it from here it's about you know uh, two feet away and i can smell <laughs> i can smell it tastes um almost acidic or it smells like a kind of acrid and um, it smells skunk, even though it's a can. It's that kind of skunky, you know, smell. That's pretty it, fascinating it, to yeah. have a skunky beer out of a bottle. Mine, I got mine from Safeway this afternoon and it has a drink by date of like December. And frankly, it tastes pretty clean and I'm not getting any skunkiness out of this bottle. Yeah, it, and it's definitely paper. Like it's like classic wet cardboard, almost like dirt, like earth. Mm. So I'm going to have a very different drinking experience than you guys. I'm also not going to finish uh. it. <laughs> um, I love me some Cords Banquet. I, you know, I'm surprised I still had this beer lying around. But uh, Cooper, why don't you go ahead and go first and tell us your impressions of Cords Banquet and how it might line up to the style or whatever even style it is. And, uh, you know, maybe afterwards we can speak on a little bit about maybe how to brew something like this. Right. Again, yeah. So this is uh, a 1B a standard, they used to call it standard American lager, but it's uh, American lager. And, uh, you know, you should get a little bit of malt in the aroma, uh, grainy, little corn, sweet, sweet kind of impression. 
if if present, <laughs> uh, you definitely have to get some malt out of this. It's not water. You know, you're not smelling a glass of water. Um, the hop aroma is pretty low in this style. This one, I think I get a little spicy hop, just a faint spicy hop aroma because there's so little malt there. Uh, and it is kind of a cereal-like kind of corny grain-like scent. And then uh, just a little little spicy hop next to that. You know, it should be cleanly lagered. There's not a lot to stand behind here. So if they had big flaws in these and as it, you know, as it gets old and goes past its enjoy by date, you will probably get some not so great uh, flavors in there. Despite how well they probably they control the oxygen content at packaging, it's going to stand out. In these beers also, it should be noted that that DMS, a little bit of corn-like DMS, uh, cooked corn kind of a scent is not um, not a fault. That's something that you can actually have in these. I feel like there is a, just a tiny touch of DMS in this. It's not, not huge. Just a little cooked corn edge to the, to the malt. Um, that's in the nose. Appearance wise, it should be pale straw to a medium yellow color. This hits kind of a, the yellow side of things here. Um, kind of almost a deeper yellow color to this here. The head just, just doesn't persist very well at all. It, it, you pour it, it has, Fairly fine bubbles that's left here kind of coloring the glass, but they faded super quick. And that's to be expected. If you were judging it in a competition, you probably wouldn't actually knock it down for that. Uh, you would knock it down if it had any hint of haze at all. So it's got to be perfectly clear um, to be acceptable in the style. Uh, it should just be brilliant. And uh, yeah, so in the, in the flavor, it's, you know, a little bit of malt. You're not going to get a lot of hop. The bitterness is way out of the way. Just yeah, they call it a kind of a neutral palette, the BJCP, I guess it's, but it should be uh, have a crisp and dry finish. Part of the the key to this style is the the drinkability and um, just the smoothness of the beer and how it goes down easy and and dries off your tongue and you want another sip. So, you know, that's something to look at for sure. You want it to be refreshing. You also pretty much want to drink it cold or it's it's not going to be very good. So. You know, if you're drinking it on a hundred degree day, maybe like we have here, <laughs> right? Drink um, it kind of fast. <laughs> Daniel in the chat is saying, "My understanding is that corn is used because it's cheaper, but all the corn I found is more expensive than the Pilsner malt." Right. Well, um, corn is used. Maybe at one point it was used because it was cheaper. I don't know the history of corn prices versus malt. I imagine that malt is um, harder to make. <laughs> there's more steps to making it. And mm. in the, the beginnings of the industrial revolution, um, you know, people, maltsters might've demanded more of a premium for that than just a basic commodity, like corn agricultural product. Um, if it is cheaper today, I'm, I'm not sure, but what it does do is it, uh, use about a 30% uh, cereal mash. These can use either corn or rice. Uh, I believe the cores does use a corn, uh, about 30% of the beer and you have to basically cook that corn. You have to do a cereal mash to get those starches to expose themselves and become able to be converted by the enzymes in the mash. And uh, along with that, you'll use a six row barley typically that is higher uh, enzyme content, more of those amylases, uh, the beta and alpha amylases that break down those uh, those starch molecules into the simple sugars that you're going to ferment. So you need to, you know, being even up to like 30% is quite a lot in any mash of any ingredient, you know, it's going to 
take a lot more enzyme content to break that down. But what the, the corn does is that those sugars that from that are going to ferment all the way out to dry. And it gives you that nice, dry, crisp uh, finish that you get in that beer. So the, yeah, again, the finish and the crispness is and the drinkability is just clean lager, not a lot of, you know, fruity flavors or anything in there getting in the way, just a little bit of malt, maybe a touch of hop, almost no bitterness goes down easy, dries off the tongue. You want another sip on a hot day. Good lawnmower beer. Absolutely. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you, you have anything to add to that? Like flavor wise or, uh, aroma wise, we talk about mouthfeel a little bit too. What do you think, Brian? Don't chime in. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, uh, I would pretty much agree with everything that you'd said. Uh, it's, I'm a little bit stuffed up and this is light enough that I'm having a difficult time smelling much of anything from this. Uh, but that's, I mean, this is not a big beer. I mean, you're not supposed to get like giant nosefuls of hops and malt and everything else. This is refreshing. There's nothing off about it. You know, I'm not getting, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm not getting cardboard. Uh, I'm not getting uh, anything old. Uh, I'm always more partial to the American lagers that have corn rather than rice. And it's just a personal preference. I think the corn, the, the corn flavor tends to be maybe a little more pleasant than the rice flavor, uh, at least on the American, the mass market American beers that use corn versus rice. But I, I think it's very pleasant. I think it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. Mine is not super carbonated. You can see there's bubbles in here. Uh, there's, uh, I mean, it's not certainly not uncarbonated, but I would call this maybe medium low carbonation in mine. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Which, it, it, I mean, compared yeah. to like a Budweiser or something where they carbonate the hell out of that, uh, <laughs> to, mean, to my recollection, uh, but it, it works. I mean, I don't drink this and think, man, this is flat. It needs more uh, CO2. It, it really works for what it is. Well, yeah. And being that it's almost 80 degrees in my house here, you know, like 79 in the hallway here looked like when we got home. Like, yeah. This is actually nice and nice and quenching and refreshing. You know, and yeah, that that uh, you know the carbonation is something that you can get if it gets too high. Those other ones that I don't like, you get a carbonic bite. It creates that carbonic acid biting to your tongue, and you can hardly taste those flavors. I also agree with the you know the rice adjunct uh, being a little more even more neutral than it already is. Kind of just basic malty, light malty flavor in there. The corn at least gives it a little edge. And if you get a little DMS, a little cooked corn, like it actually makes it a little more interesting, I think. So it plays better to me. I yeah, agree with that. Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of people shit on these beers, not because there's no flavor, but it's because we were sort of marketed to from, you know, craft breweries. We were sort of, you know, it's like the um, farm to table movement, you know. We drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, well, I'm better than this and it's like well these beers are good there's a reason that they're 50 percent of the market share is there a good beer it's a good beer I mean, it's I, okay I to differ. like i would differ in that i believe not coors i believe budweiser has changed that significantly but they've there was always something in budweiser that i didn't like the taste of whether it was budweiser or bud light uh and there i'll was give you something that. in their process budweiser's in, weird after after inbev bought them that went away and that became a much better beverage. Hmm. Uh, I've always thought Coors had the, with the least problems of any of the, the mass market American loggers. Yeah. Uh, but no, Coors has always been, yeah. you know, especially like Coors Light. Hey, man, you keep that cold, 
You don't let it get too warm and you drink that. That's actually acceptable beer. Maybe Keep those mountains beer nice and blue, pretty, right? Maybe we yeah, should make, do, make them real blue. Maybe we should do a, um, a an American light lager showdown on one of hey, these We did shows. that once. That's there's a great idea. There's we'll a show. Again. We did. There's a show way back in history. We did the American light lager smackdown. It was Coors. Well, we didn't do it with standard American lagers. We did like the light lagers, Coors Light, Bud oh, okay. Light. And uh, Miller Light. Who won? Let's Coors do Light standard won, American right? lagers, man. Yeah, let's um, do that. I think it was it was Lee and I, I believe, and we we didn't we couldn't uh, we didn't get it right. We couldn't we did we presented them blind and we we missed. But I don't drink these day in day out, so like, I probably got them right. I'm just gonna say I'm pretty good at guessing. I think you were you were more right than we were. But I uh, usually am with that kind of stuff, like guessing the yeah. beers. I don't know why. I think you talk yourself into things when you when you know what something is like. Oh yeah, this is a Budweiser. I can yeah. taste that uh, that Beechwood aging on it. <laughs> I mean, and that that does the you know and that rice adjunct. But if you're presented them blind, it is it is harder. But yeah, yeah the, so I think what Brian was talking about there is with the Bud, and we're not drinking any Bud tonight. That be- Beechwood aging actually leaves um, a, a little bit of acetaldehyde in the beer. It drops out the yeast a little prematurely. And it leaves a little bit of that behind that the yeast does not reabsorb. And whether there were changes made recently after that that the change, the takeover by the super mega mass mega huge corporation, uh, I don't know. That's a good point because I mean I haven't heard like a lot of Budweiser commercials lately, but I don't think I've heard the phrase Beechwood aged for a long time. <laughs> it's been it's been a hot minute, dude, for sure. Yeah, so maybe they stopped doing that. I mean, Let's, that was a historic thing that they used to always do. I'm not sure it, it served them well. No, well, that would be a big change because, I mean, but I they, think they, they still work, do it. They work really hard to make right. that product taste yeah. as consistent, as much the same as possible, even going to yeah. the extent of blending. And probably all of them do this. Like hops are an agricultural product, and a weird hop is going to stand out like a freaking sore thumb in a beer like this. So they've massage the blend of the hops that they use every year to get it just right to meet that flavor profile. And when I, I, wonder I took, how much Simcoe uh, is in here. Yeah. I took classes <laughs> at uh, UC Davis oh, and uh, you know, Charlie Bamforth was teaching uh, the, the week long course in brewing and packaging, whatever it was. And, and uh, he, he was doing some consulting for, for AB and Bev and, and he would talk about, you know, yeah, he like tasted something once and he's like, um, I think I'm getting a little bit of this in it. All of a sudden they like calling meetings and like five alarms ringing and they're like pulling uh, people in from different places to taste this beer. And he just, cause he mentioned something being a little different in it. And you know, he's got a good palate. Charlie's uh, definitely no, no slouch there, yeah. but uh, it, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was interesting to yeah. hear that. And they really do pay attention to that. I know they do. And he, he drinks it, you know, they like, definitely do. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, and see, and I think there's, there's no shame in drinking these beers. Then there shouldn't yeah. be. You know what I mean? Be. There really shouldn't be. Uh, I mean, Budweiser is they're just kind of like the asshole of the of the industry. Um, yeah. So fuck Budweiser. But of course, love a good course. Absolutely. And, you know, but and, and Budweiser is the asshole because of their distribution practices more yeah. than their brewing practices. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it is hard to make a product like this and. It's very easy to make an aggressive beer with a lot of hops that some minor defects and flaws can hide behind. And when IPAs became popular, it was natural. Like, oh, this is a very flavorful beer. And I, I enjoy a good IPA when it's well-made. But if you get one that has a little bit of diacetyl in it or it's just to the threshold, it's like something's wrong with this IPA. It's 
and it, if if that was in this lager, it would stand out like it would just taste like butter bomb beer. Like you just can't get away with that in this. So you know they're they're working on a product that's very consistent. Always, you know, when you drink it fresh, always tastes pretty much the same, and is very refreshing in a certain. You know, if I wouldn't want to drink this in the middle of winter <laughs> on a cold day next to the fire necessarily, but summer on a boat, heck, sure, why not? I'll take one. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. What's next? I feel like we're almost done here, right? Uh, yeah. Again, on the mouthfeel, yeah, I think maybe we'll have to talk to those BGCP guys. You know, it's like not all of them seem like very highly carbonated and have a big carbonic bite. And I think I wouldn't say this is off style. It's just it plays well and you can have one with a little less carbonation uh, on the mouthfeel side and that's fine. So, yeah, you know. It, these beers evolved from pre-prohibition lagers. There's actually, uh, you know, you look in category 27 in the BGCP, you can brew one of those. Those are a little firmer, more bitter. The style evolved over time to what it became in the 70s, where less and less flavor was the, the uh, you know, the recipe. And that's when, you know, late 70s homebrewing kind of took off and early 80s craft beer started taking off and to, into the 90s and into today taking a bigger and bigger market share away, away from these guys they pay attention they may be you know subtly adding a little more flavor you know to the beers to to make them you know more interesting i don't know what they're doing but they're keeping a good amount of market share and selling a lot of beer so they're doing something right uh and yeah again the aggressive marketing the aggressive distribution practices and taking over big uh you know, uh, space in supermarkets without allowing any competition. Yeah, that kind of any, any competitive behavior shouldn't be, uh, you know, really allowed. But, you know, hey, it's it's a free market. People can buy this as much as they want. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to taste it. And I find this to be really refreshing, especially today. So, yeah, thanks 100%. for making me buy it, JP. Yeah. Hey, man, you're welcome. Mm. Look, uh, the BNL reimburse you, dude. So you're you're welcome. Let's see what I get out of this one. This <laughs> year and a half <laughs> old. First of all, it's basically flat. Interesting. It's it, it's definitely like a like darker flavors, uh, which might be indicative of uh, the little oxidation that I was tasting, right? Because doesn't that does oxidation sort of produces sort of raisiny, more darker sort of like malt flavors. You could call them, yeah, darker. Um, so, yeah, oxidative flavor is going to come across as more like papery, sometimes a little honey-like, mm-hmm. a little something a little richer in there. That's but not like a malt richness. Just yeah, like a, it's like a cooked honey edge. thing. Yeah, cooked yeah. honey. But honestly, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. Yeah, it's like um like a honeysuckle honey. Hell, actually, drinking it, it's pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, um, it's harsh. There's an aggressiveness. There's like a thing there that I don't like. Um, but it's also, it's 83 degrees in the studio and this can is probably well on its way to being there too. And you definitely don't want to drink these at, you know, close to body temp. Right. You have all kinds of factors working against that beer right yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what do we give Coors Banquet for the style? Let's judge it, and then we'll take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about off flavors. Well, we might knock it down a touch just if you're just reading the straight guidelines and looking for that massive carbonation with a little carbonic bite. It doesn't have that, and I 
even though I think it probably serves the beer a little better not to be so super highly carbonated and biting uh, on the car- carbonic acid front, you know, you can give it low mid forties. Like it's a refreshing beer. 40, 44. 44. It tastes, it tastes I, I might've like, gone like 38. It tastes you know, like mid, you expect like high thirties. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, would the carbonation being added to it, make it, make it more better. I don't know. I like, I found it to be really refreshing. High thirties, sure. You're killing me, dude. So we meet somewhere uh, well, in the middle. My my example isn't like a year and a half old and heavily oxidized and flat. No, I mean it should be higher. Of course, banquet just, is amazing. How dare yeah. you? I mean, well, 38, 38 is almost forty. It's high thirties. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess. Or judge, uh, yeah, judge bias can be, come into play. It's like I judged around a light loggers and I gave them all twenty six. <laughs> they had no but problems, I mean, but exactly. Well, you know, thirty eight is excellent, and so is forty four. So that whole range is excellent. So we're all in the excellent category. All right, you got me on that. You got right. me on that one. We're within uh, like six points. Not yep. bad. Four, yeah. Five to seven points for a competition. Yeah. Uh, We'd probably agree to like a 42, 43 for the final score if we were sitting judging it together. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Or if we're within six or within seven, like, hell, we just each give it our score and we'd average it out. It, yeah, it'd be like a 41, 42. There you go. Depends on if I twist your arm a little extra hard, we could get up, get you up to a 43. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Daniel in the chat says he just kegged a smash beer, um, domestic um, or European domestic beer. And uh, Daniel, send it in. Damn, dude. Cool. Yeah, yeah. that'd be great. Please, please send it. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break, everybody. We're coming back. We're going to listen to Brian Shard talk about some off flavors. We're going to do a little beer education here on Dr. Homebrew. Stay with us. Don't go anywhere. I'm sorry to tell you this, but we're going to have to pour you out. Back to Dr. Homebrew. All right. Thanks for sticking around, everybody. We are back here on Dr. Homebrew, and we're going to be talking a little bit about off flavors, specifically weird off flavors. And who better to present weird off flavors than Mr. Brian Shar? I don't know who would be better to talk about anything weird but me. <laughs> We can talk. We can start with off flavors that move on to, you know, pick something weird. You know, we can That's start right. chatting. Yeah. We'll just rap about it. Speaking of weird, yeah. man, let me tell you guys something real quick. My drinking tastes have changed. Really? Yeah. Like, way? I'm sort of, like, less inclined to, to want beer and more inclined for, like, non-alcoholic beer. But I'm, I'm sorry to say, like, I'm sort of into the hard seltzers now. Uh, what? Yeah. Specifically, this Topo Chico brand, Ranch Water. It's, I've seen that at the store. It's very good. It's 4.7%. And that's, I think, why I like it. Because I don't want just 6% alcohol water. Like, I don't really give a shit. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to get wasted. But it has a good flavor. It's refreshing. And it's low alcohol enough that it doesn't really bug you. I don't know. I yeah. kind of like it. <laughs> so now I'm like, <laughs> find myself trying different hard seltzers. There's one. Um, it's not Maui Brewing Company, I think. But it's, the brewery's called Maui. I don't know, something like this. is Maui on it. But it's... Uh, like pog flavored, pog juice flavored. That's okay. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm sort of like branching out. So like you go in my fridge now, it's a very weird place to be. I have different non-alcoholic beers, which I found a, not, a wellspring, I think is one that does um, non-alcoholic, like a dark amber, which is very nice. It was a very good beer. Um, 
have this garbage and I have a uh, Heineken double zero. And then I have yeah. like a McEwen Scotch ale. <laughs> like I just, I don't know, man. I also had, um, we we're talking about Sierra Nevada, uh, potentially last on the last segment. Um, they have a hop water out now and I forget what it's called, but Interesting. It's, yeah, if you like the Lagunitas one, you're not going to like the, you're not going to like the Sierra Nevada one. It's very bitter. It's like actual bitter. The Lagunitas hop water is not, it's very, it's like sweet and it's more of those like sweeter notes of a, of a hop flavor. The Sierra Nevada one's like almost grassy and just aggressive. It's bitter, bitter mm. water. It's very weird. Taryn loves it. Even Alice drinks it, but I'm like, no, I can't. Mm. It's too, it's like vegetal. <laughs> it's vegetal. And I just, it was weird. weird. Yeah. Uh, but, but give it a shot. Definitely try it because I do want to support that space. I do. I do like those. Um, I also got some hop lark. It's is uh, sparkling water with Sabro. Okay. And it's a little sweet. It's not my favorite. I still prefer the Lagunitas so far. So far, Lagunitas wins in the hop water wars. Okay. Maybe we'll yeah, do that, a show on that, that hop, one day. That, the that hoppy refresher. Be, yeah. That's that would be a really good show. I'm I'm all I think it'd be for fun. That. Yeah, because it be in, in the water and the way the process goes, it's not like tasting the hops in the beer. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe that's my disconnect, like with this hop lark. It, they're all made well, but they're showcasing different versions of the hops or different different flavors in the hops. Against the background of like a sparkling mineral water, it's weird. So I'm I'm going to back up to what you said about the Maui hard seltzer. Yeah. So you go to their webpage and it says it's brought to you by Craft Beverages Hawaii LLC, located in Kihei, Maui, Hawaii, and their address is 605 Lapoa Parkway, Kihei. There's nothing that directly connects them to Maui Brewing, but Maui Brewing is at Maui Brewing is at 605 Lipoa Parkway, Kihei. Okay. So they're at the same location, so it must be a Maui Brewing. Hard it must seltzer. be, yeah, interesting. It, which I will tell you, the first one I opened was flat. Interesting. Well, that um, that Hoplark, if you if you look for them, they actually make some tea products that are hopped teas, and some of those can be some of those are actually really good. It's expensive. Where they've got, yeah. uh, you know, uh, citrus mosaic one, you know, they've got, uh, you know, different, different flavors. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Chamomile. That's why I picked calm it up. one. There's a green tea. I, you know, there's a really hoppy one with black tea. That's actually really good. I enjoyed it. Is there? Okay. I'll try that. This is the other thing is I sort of want to be venturing into like CBD mm-hmm. drinks instead of alcohol. Because I don't, you know what I mean? I, I don't, I think I might be moving away from alcohol and trying like hard drugs. No, yeah. not, not really hard drugs. Well, you can buy so like, the THC beverages that aren't just the CBD. Yeah. Like well, I the mean, I wonder like, watermelon basil. That's pretty good. I like the CBD stuff. You know, I don't like getting high, but I like not feeling normal. Um, uh, yeah. These teas that pretty and waters, much 24-7 yeah. for you, JP? Well, yeah. But now that I'm on Zoloft, um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, SSRIs are weird, man. Um, well, you're drinking in it, you know, there, you there's, know. there's sugar, there's calories, there, there's gluten, you know, there, there's, you know, added, you know, flavors. Yeah. But teas just, and, and hop are, you know, they're kind of just pure, you know, hops it, with tea. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's weird because uh, five years ago I would have poo pooed all over myself yeah. for even like branching out of that and, and trying these new things. Like it's all gimmicks, but fuck man, it sometimes it tastes good. And, you know, I sort of, I sort of understand why these are in the marketplace because me, a beer drinker, 
I don't want to drink beer all the time anymore, but I still want to get some sort of buzz. Beer's not necessarily good for alcohol. Isn't great for you. It's a poison basically, right? Like it'd be nice to like have something else to drink that doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't mess with you. So I don't know. It's weird. I'm in a weird, I'm in a weird headspace with this, but anyway, let's talk about heart seltzer real quick. I was, uh, so my wife loves the truly. And frankly, I think truly is decent if you're like out at the pool or something and you just want something kind of light and refreshing on a hot day or whatever. It's fine for what it is. Uh, I hadn't realized that that's made by Boston Brewing Company, the makers Mm. of Sam Adams. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Uh, And I wouldn't doubt that's probably a giant chunk of their revenue at this point because they sell a lot of that truly. But there was a a thing I saw, like a press release today about uh, uh, truly Mm. now puts like a certain amount of actual real fruit instead of just the artificial flavorings in. Hmm. So that's, uh, I, know, I guess they're setting themselves apart from other other ones. But frankly, the Kirkland brand, the Kirkland truly, the Kirkland generic stuff, that shit's actually pretty good. For that's the what price. I hear. Yeah. that That's, if you like a hard seltzer, you know, they're not going to blow your socks off with, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever, ever drank. But they're, they're, they are what they are. And for the price, it's really hard to beat them. Try this Topo Chico Ranch water, dude. It's sort of like a uh, lemon limey, a little sweetness, but not really. It's for me. God, they are a hundred calories, but anyway, who cares? Well, mm. yeah. I mean, some of those you can be creative. What? Yeah, the, the the calories come from the alcohol. So if you get a non-alcoholic hop tea or a hop water, that's going to be zero calories usually. Yeah. Um, I had my first. I had. I, I haven't had many ho- uh, hard seltzers. I think I had a blackberry one uh, at one point made by somebody. I tasted a couple. Uh, but I went to a local brewery here, Shadow Puppet in Livermore, and they had a mojito hard seltzer. Oh, and pretty it was, good. It was interesting. That sounds so good. It had the mint. Uh, had qu- quite a bit of the mint, but it was, you know, it was interesting. It was good. <laughs> okay, great. Um, all uh, right. I don't know. Char, let's go. All right. Well, let's talk about, some, talk about some more obscure off flavors than we typically talk about. We We all know, like, the big ones. Like the uh, oxidized papery. cardboard, yeah. Yeah, the phenols, the uh, things. But there are some things that you can run into sometimes that are a little a little more obscure, but they're still bad. So I thought I, I picked like four or five of these and thought that I would run through these. Uh, not in a giant amount of detail, because you've met me. So, you know, my temptation is to spend the next three hours talking about these off flavors in excruciating detail. Yeah. You mean I'm like, not going to do that. You mean like and the if intro I start to this? That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you like you're like, doing right let now? Me, let me have the intro be about 10 minutes longer. Yeah. So, just yeah. Yeah, re- reel me in if yeah. I start. Uh, we only you know, got going 15 minutes much. left in the show. So, we're going to dive right. deep into isovaleric acid. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one compound. that I picked. These are even more obscure than that. Oh, so, right, let's go. I can't wait for this. Number one, Mercaptan, also called ethanethiol. I'm not a, uh, a chemist, so I'm, I'm sure every chemist in the audience is covering their ears and screaming at my pronunciation of uh, ethanethiol. Hopefully. Uh, but let's call it Mercaptan. So what's interesting about this one, so they give the uh, perception as rotten vegetables, drain-like, sulfury, or rotting garbage. Yeah, you, that's clearly not a thing you want in anything you're, you're drinking. But no. it's also the chemical they put in propane and natural gas to make it odorous. So mm. that makes it kind of easy to spot because if you're smelling your beer and it smells like natural gas or propane, uh, you you probably realize you've got an issue. 
I've never encountered this in competition. I've judged probably a hundred competitions. I have never, I cannot recall ever experiencing this, but it's not something that you would want. No, it's apparently a sulfur compound. Uh, yeah. and it can make up a component of sulfury character. Uh, but it's, if you can taste it, it's an off flavor because it tastes like rotting garbage or smells like rotting garbage or natural gas. Basically a putrid smell. Yeah. It's yeah, exactly. uh, CH, CH4S. It's, yeah, CH or CH3. Oh, God, so it's methane. I didn't, I didn't have that chemical. It's methane yeah. with the sulfur on it. Oh, my God. No wonder it's terrible. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think the, the, the chemical name would be methane thiol. Yeah. It's methane. Yeah. Th- so, are these. In oh, that's that- where it's e- e- Ethan thiol. Okay. Uh, Ethan methane, thiol is one of the. Yeah. Methane thiol. Yeah. Yeah. Is this um, something that could be just a singular off flavor, or is it generally in. In, in conjunction with other off flavors? It's, it's a good question. Thanks. Uh, it's generally caused, apparently it's caused by uh, yeast autolysis uh, and infection by anaerobic bacteria. So usually if you have enough autolysis to have noticeable off flavors or you have infection by anaerobic bacteria, my opinion would be that you're going to get some other off aromas and off flavors than just this. Okay, got so, it. That's, uh, you know, one of the, uh, the I, I went through a variety of sources for this. Uh, what the, the how to avoid slash control uh, is to avoid mercaptan pickup from dead yeast, siphon your beer off the yeast within four weeks of fermentation start. You know, I, I, I'm not a believer in a secondary. Uh, I think you run more of a risk of getting an infection from bacteria in the air that you're going to pick up and making the transfer. Uh and I think that if you're practicing fermentation temperature control and you can set the temperature to like the 50s, 60s, or even the 50s for yeah. like an ale, you're probably, you probably don't need to pull it off after four weeks. If you're having your beer ferment in your closet and it's sat there for a month and you're not going to have time to bottle it for a while, that might be one of the times that I might say, you know what, you might want to transfer to a secondary or better yet, just make the freaking time to bottle it. You know, stay up till two o'clock in the morning on a Friday night. Do whatever you got to do. <laughs> right. It's not that much harder to bottle it than it is to transfer to a secondary. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think if you're not temp controlling, you know, or if you're temp controlling, you can crash even an ale. You can crash that thing down to 35, 40 degrees, uh, and you're not going to pick up because that that temperature decrease. You know, significantly decreases the metabolism of the yeast, which is going to decrease the autolysis, I, I, I believe, uh, and you're going to decrease the amount of stuff you're going to pick up. But it is, you know, as best practice, unless you've got a reason to have your beer on the yeast for a month plus, that's generally not a good idea, in my opinion. Agreed. So, yeah, th- um, actually, and mercaptans, it's not just that one chemical that they add to natural gas. It's a family of chemicals. So it's a from what I understand, it's a uh, a thiol, you know, something containing a thiol in it is a mercaptan. And another uh, example of a mercaptan, they are the, some of the smelliest substances known to man, you know, uh, but it's, it's a skunk's spray is, is yes. a mercaptan. So when yes. you get when you get light struck beer, that's a mercaptan also. Yeah. That's that's forming. Oh, that's interesting. From okay. uh, reaction with the mm-hmm. hops, it twists one of the elements in the hop from cis to trans or vice versa. And it, it yeah, becomes a mercaptan. That explains like an e- ethane thiol. Yeah, it's the sources that you find for some of the, especially the more obscure ones, 
the people aren't chemists like me. I'm not a chemist. And they write these articles, and they're not always consistent in their terminology. So it can be mm. difficult to figure out some of the some of the details there. I mean, if I if I had sat down for three days and found the original scientific papers, and, you know, the journal of you know the well, journal of the Master Brewers Association and all that, I'd probably get the right information. But you know, it's this is one of these things where the the internet is I think is generally right, but they don't have all the yeah. details correct. Well, I'm not a chemist either, but like uh, from what I understand, they're they're they have a chemical structure like alcohol. But instead of having an oxygen atom in, in certain places, there's a sulfur atom there in its place. That so makes a lot of that, sense. That sulfur that makes it give it that that really big stench. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there alcohol-like compounds that get a little sulfur in there by some some method. It's gonna it's gonna make that really stinky stinky flavor. And sulfur, yeah. you know, H2S, there's DMS, there's lots of sulfur compounds in beer that yeah. are definitely unwanted. And this is one of the less uh, prominent ones, but yeah, it can come up. And there, there is like, it lagers a certain low amount of sulfur can really say, hey, I'm drinking a lager and it's desirable and it's part of the flavor, but that's, yeah, that's not this type of thigh or like we're right. talking about with the Coors banquet beer with the, yeah. the corn like yeah. dms it's allowed in that beer it's okay That's right. and it didn't hurt the beer there is a little bit in that no. Coors banquet but i you know i found it gave it a little more interesting uh element to them all not always a bad right. thing exactly yeah so the next one i want to talk about here is mold this isn't a thing we really encounter that much in mold. california yeah but it's a thing that people can encounter in more humid areas. And it's not like people don't, I've had, this is one I've actually encountered in competition in, you know, here in California uh, from, from folks. So, uh, and this is, this is right from more beers website. So it's gotta be correct because more beer is uh, they know what they're doing. That's right. Uh, it's something, if it tastes or smells like mold, mildew or mustiness, uh, it's mold, mildew or mustiness. That's what's happening. <laughs> uh, usually what happens is, you're storing fermenting beer in a damp, dark area uh, for a long time. Uh, and especially if you're in a place where it gets real humid uh, and it's in your basement, for example, there's a lot of mold. I, I lived in Wisconsin for a while when I was a kid. We had a basement. Every single thing we put in that basement had to get thrown out pretty much when we moved. It's like everything got moldy. And we were kept that basement clean. But it's just when you're in that house year in, year out, uh, and it's damp in the basement, and it just mold just grows. So that's a thing you got to be real careful uh, when you're in an environment like that, and you want to put your fermenter. I mean, I understand why people want to put it in their basement because the basement's cooler, the temperature is more steady uh, because it's surrounded by dirt, and the dirt keeps the temperature. Uh, it, it it kind of buffers the temperature variation from day to night, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but if you've you put your fermenter down there, and maybe your airlock isn't sealed quite right, or some mold spores drifted in before you closed up your fermenter. Uh, you're gonna get, you're gonna get mold. Uh, and in fact, more beer says, uh, uh, I think I never thought about this, but this makes a lot of sense. Using extract or grain that has developed mold can impart moldy and mildewy flavors, <laughs> right? So you're sure. you're boiling it, right? So you're killing the spores. But the base ingredients have already been attacked by that. So 
if you're at the homebrew store or if you order some grain from a homebrew store and you get it and you smell it, you should always smell your grain. It smells good. That's one of the great things about homebrewing is putting that grain in that uh, uh, in that mash tun. Uh, the way that grain smells, it's fantastic. If it smells like crap, uh, then you should pretty much just stop right there because whatever you're going to get out of that is not going to taste or smell any better <laughs> right. than that moldy grain that you put in. Right. So, and also, you know, in the, in the current, uh, the 2021 guidelines of the, the BGCP I'm looking at, you know, uh, when you talk about mold and beer, it reminds you of the old days when you would talk about beer to guard, it would have this musty cellar like character, but actually, you know, I mean, that's more of a fault. The, the cellar, musty, moldy, rustic character, uh, mentioned in literature, it's, it's a sign of a mishandled import, not a fresh, authentic product. So, yeah. uh, it's really never acceptable in, in good commercial or versions or homebrewed versions of, of any beer that I would, I would think it, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, no, no mold bad. You don't want yes. it. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's, that's, I could have, I, you, you summarized in two words, Brian, but I, I went on and on about mold bad. Mold bad. Yeah. And I've, I've actually have had a beer mold on me. It was, I, yeah, it was weird. That's disgusting. Yeah. I was like, okay, dump that out. Yes. Next one I want to talk about quick is ethyl acetate, uh, which is sort of a solventy off flavor that isn't a fusel alcohol. Uh, I mean, I, I, maybe it is. I mean, again, I'm not a chemist, so if I'm if it is a fusel, then I, I apologize to our listeners. Uh, it sounds like it's an ester produced by the esterification of alcohol during fermentation. Uh, it it's used ethyl acetate is used in glue, nail polish remover, and other household solvents. So uh, you can imagine it's probably not too good to uh, smell or to drink. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, this is one of these things where. Like some off flavors or off aromas, in small quantities, ethyl acetate is a pear-like, fruity, or rose flavor and aroma, and it can be, it can be, it can be nice. Uh, if it's out of control, you can get an excess that causes this nail polish remover uh, sort of aroma and flavor. Uh, so you want to pick a yeast that isn't going to throw too many esters. You want to monitor your act and control your actual fermentation temperatures to keep the temperatures from going up to a point where you're going to have this esterification and get the ethyl acetate. But what I thought was really interesting uh, is that acetic acid is a precursor uh, to uh, ethyl acetate. So if you have a lot of acetic acid, the likelihood of you getting ethyl acetate goes way up. And hmm. acetic acid is caused by acetobacter in the air that can get in the beer. Uh, so I know some people, like myself, in certain sour beers, like the acetic acid. Uh, I love the classic Duchess, uh, and the Duchess is a freaking vinegar bomb. It's not supposed to be that yeah. way. It's probably out of style. A lot of people don't like it. I like that about it. I but hate that. that's that's a personal that's a personal preference. It's yeah. not a I can't Not stand what the it. style says. Yeah. No, Give me it. a Rodenbach any day over that, please. Thank no, you. <laughs> I can't do Rodenbach either, honestly. I, I stopped drinking the Duchess when about 2005. They had pretty much every bottle that got imported to the U.S. was a gusher. And I had like three in a row that were gushers. And I'm like, this is a problem, not just the, the bottles I've I've selected, but this is a problem with their overall import and, and production. 
Mm. It's also uh, a problem for your face with all that, uh, <laughs> like, ah, all this well, acid. It wasn't, that, str- it wasn't being... that strong of a gusher, but it was, yeah, it was a gusher. So I'm being sprayed uh, with acid. Help uh, me. So, but yeah, that's it. I thought it was interesting that acetic acid is generally an off flavor, but that it can become a precursor to another bad off flavor that you don't want. Okay, which is so, what the uh, uh, the the uh, ethyl acetate. Oh, okay, got it. Sorry. I thought you were. I thought it was a segue. No, no. I, okay. I wish, dude. That would imply that I had prepared and was like all media savvy and stuff. Hey, man, don't tell anybody like you've never segue. prepared. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm so prepared that this is an interesting segue here. Um, actually, hang on, real quick. Yeah. Let's take a final break. Right? Yeah. Take a final break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up uh, off flavors with Brian Shar on Doctor Hubbard. Don't go anywhere. Now, back to the examination. All right. Thanks a lot for sticking around, everybody. Brian Shar, how many off flavors? You got one left, I think, right? Or two? I can't uh, remember. I've got two left, and they're short ones. All right. Let's go. So the next one is Mouse Taint, which if anyone's listened to the Sour Hour, uh, they w- would always talk about this in great detail. Uh, this is primarily in sour beer. Uh, and I think the best way, uh, I think it was Jay from the Rare Barrel that had the best description. Uh, which have a sour beer, breathe in, breathe out, see if you can taste Cheerios, mm-hmm. like if you'd eaten Cheerios. And if you can taste that, then your beer has THP, a.k.a. mouse taint. You know, the, so apparently... The first sorry, person wait. to ever introduce that to me was uh, Dave, flat-tailed Dave, Dave Marley. Uh, yeah, like, uh, Dave taint. knows a lot of stuff. Well, because I'm, and he, he didn't really clarify Right. And so I'm mouse taint. So I'm thinking, you know, because I'm, you know, stupid, the taint, like between, you know, taint your dick and taint your butt. Right. <laughs> right. Well, like the you're thinking it's Dave up there in Oregon yeah. fucking licking mouse taint. That's like what, what is that's going on? Basically what I asked. Him, I was like, what do you do up there, dude? Like what is happening? And he didn't really get it. He's like, no, dumbass. It's, uh, you know, it's like tainted. Oh, OK. Got it. Like, like mouse the, mouse, the mice pee in the grain. Right. Yeah. yeah mice and rats and don't have a bladder, so right. they just they just pee wherever they walk or run. They don't have a bladder. They're so disgusting. They have no bladder. So that's why there's huh. that's one reason why they're so horrible for health is they just whenever they have to go, they just they can't store it at all. They just it just, it just pee everywhere. So yeah, if you got mice wow. or rats, get oh. rid of those fuckers because you don't want that mouse or rat pee everywhere. Uh, yeah. So the the chemical is uh, tetrahydropyridine. Yeah, yeah. There's a good article on on the Milk the Funk wiki. You can look it up. And I remember one time Keith and I were in the studio uh, at at the Hop Grenade, and we had this sour beer that had a little bit of the stuff in it. I didn't really know it at the time, and I was we judged it separately there. And I looked at him. He's like, "What do you get in this beer?" I'm like, "Cheerios." And he's like, "Yeah." Mm. Like that's THP. I was like, "Wow, that's." And yeah, it's on the exhale. And part of that is because yeah. as you usually it's in sour beers, it's it's not as perceptible as the pH is lower in your mouth. But as right. you finish the beer, it dries off your tongue. The pH returns more to a normal, more neutral. And you exhale, all of a sudden you taste that. It's like, oh man, Cheerios. Just but in the late palate on the exhale after it's it's gone off your tongue. So yeah. It's a weird thing. It's it's a really yeah, weird thing. I think some people say it's like a combination of 
uh, Brett in the presence of oxygen causing that, but it's it's no good in in wine or beer. The mouse taint of no. wine people hate it. The beer people, if you get too much of it in a sour beer, it just turns it from a really good sour to just like, okay, that's weird. Let's not have that exactly. one. Go to something else. And apparently, fixing it is uh, in most cases a matter of aging, mm. which you want to do to a sour beer anyway. And apparently, aging it from two to twelve months will, in most cases, cause it to decompose. Huh. Uh, so that's that's good. So at least it's one that will go away in yeah. the time frame that's going to be storing the beverage anyway. Uh, but that's just a thing to kind of keep in mind. Uh, so the last one that I wanted to discuss, uh, and it's because I have a slight personal connection, is octanoic acid, which is apparently sometimes called caprylic acid sometimes. What, uh, what could possibly and, be your personal connection with octanoic well, acid? I'll tell you this in a second. Right. So it's it's goaty, <laughs> soapy, or waxy. So once I, I entered this imperial stout, Russian imperial stout in uh, competition, and uh, Beth Sangare was judging that to Stern Grove like 10 years ago, back when it was still judged at Stern Grove. And I li- was listening to her j- talking about this beer to some other judges about how it tastes. There was like a Crayola character to it. And I'm like, what the hell? That's crazy. How could a beer have Crayolas? It, it was my stout. So <laughs> that was, I got uh, the score okay. sheets back. I'm like, oh, Damn. okay, that makes sense. So like, you, how, does, how does this, cra- how does this wax get in there? And like I tasted it later on after I got that, I had some bottles left. I'm like, yeah, I, I get like a little bit of that wax. Well, what's interesting is uh, it's released into beer from autolysis during maturation. So this is why I bottle conditioned this. Uh, I didn't have a ton of yeast at the bottom of the bottles, but I had this Russian Imperial stout was probably like three or four years old when I entered it. Uh, I thought it was real good. Uh, and I think it did have a lot of great character to it. But probably the autolysis of that yeast at the bottom has been sitting there for four years gave that little bit of Crayola character, uh, that that waxiness that was noticeable enough. Because Beth's got a fantastic palate, so uh, I don't doubt it was there at all. But that was really fascinating to me. Uh, and that's one where, yeah, it's just that kind of autolysis. Uh, apparently, a little bit of this is acceptable in long matured uh loggers and uh lambics hmm. uh, but probably not in russian imperial stout yeah probably but not sort of the, the the commonality between all these some of the if there's two lessons from from all this is that it's sanitation 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 uh like five star always says you know star san pbw clean everything well sanitize everything well uh pitch enough yeast don't let your your beer sit on the yeast for months on end. Again, Amen, I'm not, brother. I'm not a believer in running off to a secondary for everything, but I'm also not a believer in letting your beer just sit on the yeast in a non-temperature controlled environment for months because nothing good is going to come of that. Yeah. So lazy brewers like me have that problem more uh, often than, uh, than people that pay attention and transfer things quickly to the – yeah. I would think not lazy, but people that, you know, have a job and kids, <laughs> yeah, uh, you don't always, busy. you don't always have time to, you know, rack the yeast. It's like freaking midnight. And you're like, I'm exhausted. I'm going to bed. Yeah. Uh, and like five nights in a row. Yeah. You got to yeah. do stuff. I have yeah. to dry hop that beer. I started before the uh, holiday. So yeah. Yeah. I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. That yeah, was very cool, fun. dude. Uh, you're very welcome.
Excellent. Um, so if you want to get a beer on the show, uh, just email me, Brian at the brewing network.com. And that may have been a little harsh transition, but we're trying to get out of here and get to bed. <laughs> hey man, it's fine. Um, speaking, speaking of being busy and having kids and lives and stuff, yeah, you don't got to tell cats and dogs. It's yeah. all right. They'll beer, be mead, cider, Brian at the brewing network.com. Let me know what you have. You might just want to get a little feedback on it. Is this good or not? Or you might be new to brewing. You might be, have been brewing for years and years and want to improve your beer that you've done 16 times. We don't care. We just want to taste your beer, taste what's there, judge it to style, tell you how we would make it better, and talk about it with you, which is half the fun. Yeah, kiss you on your forehead and send you on your way. Yes. Yeah, you might just want to chat with the three of us and just enjoy the uh, pleasantries that we have. Even JP. Sometimes JP can be slightly Mm. pleasant. Hey, man, I'm offended. Thanks, William. (laughs) Um, all right, everybody, we're getting out of here. Thanks a lot very much for tuning in to Dr. Homebrew. We appreciate it. And uh, until next time, we'll see you later.